Hello and welcome to She's Creative with me, Claire Hutchison. Each episode, I chat to a different woman who works within the creative industries, discovering how she turned creativity into a career. My guest on this episode is Rubina Pavani. Rubina is a producer, editor and podcaster who works at ITN Productions as the head of short form. She has produced two series for BBC Three and specialises in making factual content about underdogs. She is also a co-creator of the BBC Sounds podcast Brown Girls Do It Too, which won Podcast of the Year at the British Podcast Awards this year. Thanks for coming on the show, Rubina. Uh, thanks for having me. That was I love that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I've done my research. <laughs> to kick things off, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for work? Um, so I grew up in North London in Enfield, which is a kind of nice-ish borough. There's bad bits and there's nice bits. Um, and I guess I grew up in like a nice bit because my parents had just moved out of a bad bit uh, after they had kids. Um, So my parents are refugees. They came from East Africa in the uh, 70s um, and then had me and my brother. So they, uh, my mum worked for the government and my dad was an accountant. They had quite like mid-level kind of jobs. Um, And yeah, that's kind of roughly where I grew up and what I, it's kind of hard to say sometimes, isn't it? Like what, whether those things determine where you're at now and what Mm -hmm. that is. I'm always reflecting back and wondering how that's affected where I am. But yeah, that's my, my background. Cool. And when did you know that you wanted a career in the media? I think it was like I couldn't do anything else because it was all the stuff that I was interested in. I like always was making stuff growing up, radio shows, videos, films. Um, I loved technical equipment, cameras, phones, laptops, all that stuff. So it just felt, it always kind of felt like innate, I think. But I spent like so much of my childhood watching TV um, and it felt like it would be such a privilege to try and work or make content that people could watch because so much stuff I watched growing up like moved me or made me think or educated me um, and I wanted to have that same impact. Cool and what did you study at university and how beneficial did you find going to university to getting into the industry? Um, Yeah I studied anthropology with development at Edinburgh um, mainly for the like visual anthropology elements and like learned quite a lot of like documenting people and how to do it fairly without without you know acknowledging your bias and you know being kind to people when you're trying to tell their stories as well which I think a lot of journalists don't get too much training in um and yeah I think you know the television industry is incredibly elite and there's still a lot of outsiders and you probably do need a degree to get to it in some point um I don't think my degree like helps me every day but it's totally taught me loads about field studies and writing and critical thought so I found it has yeah kept me kept me fresh in it but yeah I don't know about the industries like I think the tv industry is really bad I think the media industry is awful and you know as somebody who has worked really hard to get to this point I'm not even sure I always want to be in it because it's quite cruel and it's really elitist and you just yeah it's hard to stay in it and stay focused that's for sure yeah speaking about that um in terms of unpaid internships i feel like the media is one of the worst industries for unpaid internships uh, to the point where some people almost wear it's a badge of honor you know how many months they did for free before they they got their first job um in what way do you think this is 
such a problem and do you think that there's there's any way out of that kind of the structure yeah i think it's like disgusting that you should ask anyone to work for free and that really just means only the privileged can do so like if you live in london if your parents will be able to support you those are the only opportunities that you have and, and able to get into i couldn't do any unpaid internships because i couldn't live at home personal reasons and I had to work in the cinema and then I had to work in a biscuit factory and then I had to do other things just so I could do the, the like work internships where I got paid a little bit of money um so yeah I think it's awful and it absolutely needs to change in every way and if you find somebody advertising an unpaid internship there are lots of ways that you can call it out um and you can contact lots of unions and there's lots of represent representatives in television and, and closed Facebook groups and people that you can reach out to and say hey I've just seen this does this look right because they shouldn't be doing that yeah, it's good to see people on social media calling it out more than they may be used to because I think people are more aware of how much of a problem it is now than necessarily before. Um, so it is good to see there's some change, but I do I feel like there's a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, big time. And I think work experience, like work experience is different because you're like at yeah. college or you're at sixth form or you're at school and you can kind of, you know, you've got a different purpose. You should come and you should do work experience in your summers, but like once you leave school like you should get paid for the work mm -hmm. that you do you know even if it's menial work you should get paid a living wage that's you know that's what we should be moving towards yeah definitely and um one of your first jobs was a researcher what does that entail day to day because i think a lot of people might not necessarily know you know they'll see people on tv and not know all of the background work that there is there hmm yeah, it's really interesting because actually TV is really hierarchical. Like you don't notice it until you're in it, but there's like very strict jobs that help you climb the ladder. So you start off as like a runner and you might become a development assistant then you'll be a researcher, then you'll be an assistant producer, then you'll be a producer, then you'll be, you know, it kind of, it goes up like that. Um, and the researching mainly is, is your helping the producers tell the story or helping the producers craft what you're trying to make by, you know, you might be researching facts and figures if it's about history or, or science, you might be contacting um, speakers that you need to be, to be involved in it. I think there's lots of, I mean, I was a researcher on some game shows sometimes and that's all I had to do was like herd people into a room to like play the game and like make sure they were happy and like recruit the right types of people and keep the energy in the room up and um, yeah, it's like, it could be, it could range from writing to supporting to, uh, you know, phoning up loads of people and asking questions. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun starting job in the industry because you kind of have a big wide breadth and, and you're supporting all the other people above you. So you kind of get to see their roles. And how did you get your foot in the door? First of all, <laughs> oh, it took me ages. It took me so long. <laughs> Like I'm 32 now and I think I'm only now in a job that, you know, I like, I think, you know, I feel like I've only just made it in the door really still. And I'm hundred percent still not probably not getting paid what I should be as well. It's one thing nobody talks about money. Um, but I got my foot in the door because I applied for like hundreds of things, like, you know, so many. And I got into the final of this shared media internship that they offer at this company, big company called Shed that owns loads of production companies. It's like no longer called that, but um, you know, it was an opportunity that I don't even know if it exists that much anymore. And I made it to the final 10 of the internship. And in my interview, they said, we're not gonna give you the internship. We're gonna give you a job, um, which was great, but it was a two day a week job mm. for maybe like three or four months. I did that before it got to be full time. Um, 
and yeah so it took me it took me a long time I was doing a lot of other stuff before like I interned at you know BAFTA I interned I worked at the BFI as a cinema usher for ages like four years on and off like it's yeah I did lots of other bits to get to this point. Is there any advice you would that you could give for getting your foot in the door specifically just that first jumping off point? Yeah, you have to, I think if you know you want to work on a program, firstly, think about why you want to work on that program. If it's television, if it's content, if it's a YouTube video that you've seen. And then at the end, just go and look at those credits. Go and find out the exact company who made it and the name of the person who made it and do some sick Facebook stalking and find their emails. Because uh, annoyingly, when it says apply to jobs at da 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 company, um, that's just not how this industry works. And that's just the honest truth. Everyone is recommending people that they know and putting their mates ahead of each other. And it's, it's the most nepotistic thing I've ever seen. Um, and it's unfair and it's not a meritocracy. So it doesn't matter how good you are. A hundred percent, you have to find the right people to talk to. And um, there are some really good people out there who will help people and, you know, take that phone call, speak to you. And, you know, our industry needs to do better at that, like opening the doors to people and, you know, letting people in. Um, but yeah, I think finding the right name and asking for mentorship, I think is really important, like, because it shows that you want something and that you're struggling. Um, and it's not easy. So like resilience is another thing I really recommend. Like, you know, 90% is rejection of all your job apps and all your ideas and um, you just got to keep going. After I'm making it sound like it's really sad, <laughs> aren't I? I'm like, it's so dark. It's such a hard work. <laughs> like it's actually like the greatest job and you you know the gift of being able to work in a creative field is wonderful um yeah I don't I don't want to make it sound so like dire <laughs> no not at all I mean I suppose that's the reason why so many people want the job and that's why it's so competitive um and it's the same across all creative industries which is just kind of yeah it makes it difficult for people that don't know each other but I think it's really good to recommend networking because people I think people that didn't grow up knowing people in the industry they're not necessarily going to know that that is the way the way forward I think so many people that work in creative industries have parents that did it or you know family friends and they know the route in but most people don't even know where to begin so Mm, I know and it's it sucks because that does just keep the industry closed and circular and the same old people keep getting jobs and the same old people keep getting hired. Um, and so like, that's terrible. We need to do something about that. I'm really sorry. I'm making all sorts of noises. Um, don't worry. But uh, yeah, I think like we, we, sh- we need to be letting people know how to get in at the base level. And it is just about reaching out. Like you, you probably found me on Twitter, right? Yes. Yeah. I heard, um, I heard about the podcast on the Hilo Um with Pandora Sykes and Dolly Alderton and I just looked up the podcast and then I think I found you on Twitter through that yeah yeah so if you find the right name you can email someone and like I always make time to take calls with people who are interested in what, what we're doing because like you know if I didn't have those people who made time for me I would not be here so yeah that's a very admirable thing to do because a lot of people aren't like that in the industry so um so after you worked as a researcher, you worked as a producer, um, which obviously you're seeing the hierarchical system. What kind of work goes into producing? Yeah, so I actually was an AP for a little while as well. So I was like an assistant producer. I probably didn't put that on my route, but I did do the like research, researching for a few years and then I became an assistant producer for 
a year and that jump from assistant producer to producer it's really hard to do but I got really lucky because I was on a production where um the producer wanted to leave and the series had just got recommissioned so he said you can, you, you should do this um, and then you get a lot more responsibility and it's great because you get to run a team you get to think about the editorial you get to think about tone um, and you're really in charge of how the project comes together and what it sounds and feels like. So um, you normally have to report to an exec producer or a commissioner from a broadcaster, um, and you just have to keep them updated about any problems there are, but hopefully you're running everything smoothly and there's no problems. Um, yeah, it's really fun. Like producing is like great because you get to like run a team and be, you know, be a good boss and like, you know, do the things that maybe you didn't have. Cause I, I always think like, I actually quite enjoy management, which I never, it sounds, sounds so boring, um, but it's, it's great because you get to be, people's manager and like really look, look out for them and nurture them um in a way that you don't often get in telly because people are just like you know freelance get lost you're in and out it doesn't matter but it's really nice to just keep in touch with everyone that you've ever managed and be like how are you getting on what's next for you and building a new type of network in the industry which is kinder and fairer um and yeah and just just a bit more nicer you know i think that's like this industry can be quite um yeah, quite mean and tough because you're working on like contract to contract basis and you're trying to find a job and you're, it's a relationships industry. So it's all about personalities. And, yeah. What would, what's the difference between assistant producer and producer? So you kind of, it's, I think it's just this, it's kind of similar really, but the assistant producers really like has a bit more responsibility and looks after the researchers and helps them. Um, and it totally depends on what kind of production you're on. Like if you're on a big entertainment show, the assistant producer would maybe do some more shooting or might do some more like in-depth briefing for the producers. Um, I think like ultimately they're the middle person between helping the producer and, and ensuring the researcher staying on track as well. So like, you know, I might send an AP and a researcher out to go do a recce of something. And, you know, I'd rely on the AP to come back and tell me that, you know, the, the location was good or do a research document and tell me that that type of talent was good um but yeah it totally depends on which part of the industry and what kind of show you're working on and you were saying it's quite contract contract is that quite is that quite normal or you know do people normally go from different companies or do they work freelance yeah i'd say about 90 percent of the jobs in television are uh, freelance contract to contract um three to six months dependent on the length of the contract sometimes you can get a big show that runs on for 10 months or you'll get a short job that's a week or you'll get you know a month transcribing here or something so they're all really short-term jobs so it's yeah it's like you know gig economy type thing uh, and then the small percentage of staff jobs there are are incredibly difficult to get and obviously when those people get them they stay in them for a really long time so it's you know it's yeah they're hard to get but they do they do come you just have to i think they come like later in your career and where do you look out for different gigs? Is it normally through networking and people emailing you about different things? There's a whole bunch of like closed, such a closed industry, there's closed Facebook groups that you can't even be in unless you have 10 contacts in them. Um, and that's where they advertise jobs for telly. Um, and then there's also this thing called the talent manager, which is a really great resource if you want to even be a runner. I think it's really good to put all your stuff on there and you have a little photograph in your CV and you just can look for jobs on there. It's free. Um, there is a premium service you can use as well. That's like seven pounds, I think a month. And then they, you can then see who's seen you and who's downloading your CV. So if you're like helping do that, um, 
those are like the main places things get advertised. But also like sometimes companies who do big shows will advertise on their um, own websites. So it's good to look on those because sometimes they have their own like internal pools. And at what point did you learn how to shoot and edit film? Um, I've kind of self-taught been doing it forever. Uh, like ever since I was like a kid like with like a DV cam and then graduating to SLRs and then FS7s. Um, but I think that the real show that I got proper camera experience on and because I had to shoot every day, every second week, every day, three days, and uh, it was a bit more intensive, uh, was when I worked on Things Not To Say in BBC3 and that was with an FS7. Um, and yeah, I mean, I didn't know how to use that camera. I just told them I wanted to shoot on it and told them that I... Um, would like need these lenses because I just binged YouTube and taught myself everything that I needed to know. Um, and I think every woman who is in a job and they ask if you can shoot, just say yes, just lie. Cause that's what everyone else does. Everyone does that. Uh, that's how they get their jobs. That's how they get onto the next pain. And you know what? They're not asking men if they can shoot. They're only asking women. Um, yeah. so just lie and say yes and teach yourself because you're smart and you can do it. And, it's not that hard. And normally if you go for a shoot, you're going to shoot something, they'll give you the camera equipment the night before. Just test it out, stay up all night, figure yeah. it out. Like, you know, just, you can be diligent and, you know, not, you know, not skin on anything. And like shooting, it's, it's, a, it's a skill that you can get really good at if you're given the opportunities to do it. So, you know, like you have to take them when you can get them. Yeah, that's really good advice. And Lie. Lie is my advice. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> well, it's, I'm sure I've heard before that um, women are much less likely to apply for jobs where they don't tick all the boxes than men. And men might be more likely to apply if they just tick a few boxes. So yeah, it's that really weird phrase. It's like you should always talk yourself up because no one else mm -hmm. is going to. It's like, you know, like yeah. we don't have agents. And we're not like, but imagine your own agent. You, know, you want to sell yourself as much as possible. Yeah. So, yeah. I suppose what's the worst thing that can happen? you know like if you get a gig um so you were saying you learned to shoot on things not to say on bbc3 um so that was a series about videos debunking misconceptions on topics such as female genital mutilation eating disorders and homelessness what drew you into the project and what kind of response did you get um, I didn't think anything drew me into the project because it was just like, I needed a job. And this is the really, really ridiculous thing about television is like, you'll look back at your career and you'll be like, look at all these decisions I make. And to be honest, I didn't get to make those decisions. I needed work. This came up. I had to take it. And, you know, I, I did say no to some things in my career. Like I was asked to be a, an assistant producer on a Katie Hopkins program. I just knew that, you know, morally for me, that wasn't anything I wanted to be involved in. So like, you know, I did actually get to say no a few times, although, you know, I wasn't, didn't have much money at that time and that was a real tough one. Um, but I mostly just let, let the jobs navigate me, um, which, you know, I think has been fun and great, but I am starting to think like, what's my strategy? And I do think you need to have a bit more of a strategy as well as just jumping from job to job. Um, but it was the most brilliant, fun, satisfying, uh, rewarding thing you can do is to make things not to say, because it was like, basically giving people a voice to air out all the terrible things that have been said to them and and make it funny and give them like re-empower them to own it um 
and it was really fun to make and yeah I met so many cool people doing it like you know because every film has eight people in it and I made 45 films so it was a good run of films um and it won a bunch of awards and like you know we did loads of interesting stuff with mental health um and all the team that works on it were really small it was there's only ever three of us making it um and it rotated to there was like three different producers across the whole thing um yeah it was just great it was like yeah really fun and I'm really happy I got to do that I'm really lucky about that one that's brilliant um how much in terms of when you decide what projects you're doing how much of it is pitching ideas and how much of it is applying for for work that's you know pre-decided mm, that's a really good question um, you should always be pitching ideas because uh, you, I think you turn up to TV and you think, I want to make this film, I want to make this thing. And then you go and like do a job and that kind of takes you onto a different thing. I'd say like for me, my career mostly has been like 80% just working on other people's ideas and 20% trying to get mine away outside of work. Um, and that includes like podcasts that I've done or short films that I've worked on or like a bunch of other stuff outside of work is, is taking up a short, smaller amount of my time because the, the job bit kind of fills your day. Um, but you should always be, I think it's really important to keep pitching ideas. Like right now in my job, it's 100% pitching ideas, which is, which is great because I'm in development at the moment. So I'm constantly pitching. Um, but that means I'm not making, you know, I'm just pitching. And if, when, if something gets commissioned, somebody else has to make it. So, yeah. What projects are you most proud of so far that you've done in your career? Mm. Oh, I don't know. I, oh God, I'm probably going to say things not to say really boringly because I just talked about it. It is like... It was just so big, you know, it was like working on something that went viral every week, working on something that like PewDiePie made a video about, uh, <laughs> that got like millions on YouTube, that like, you know, they got trolled as much as it got loved. Like it was huge and it had everyone talking. And I think still when I go into meeting rooms, if I say I worked on things not to say, people know, at least mm -hmm. can remember it. Or if you describe it, they're like, oh yeah, I've seen one or 12 of those. Um, and I think it did what, content like content should do which is like charm and be funny um but be really real and give people like give people who don't normally get a voice a voice mm -hmm. in terms of diversification in the media um only eight percent of those working in production in the uk are of black asian or ethnic minority background compared to 12 percent in the general population and 40 percent in london is this something that you've noticed throughout your career? And do you think that enough work has been done to diversify the media? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's a white-run industry, uh, benefits lots of white people, um, and black and brown people get brought in to tell black and brown stories. So, like, if you look at all the black programming that's happening now in the wake of um, the latest Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, they're, they're just hiring lots of amazing black creatives to come and make black programming. And it's like, you know, I just hope they remember to hire those people when there's other programs to be made about other things. Um, because we, we do get pigeonholed, you do get told to do certain projects that people think that you might suit based on the color of your skin and nobody sees it as racist or, you know, kind of discriminatory in any way. They just think, well, I'm giving you an opportunity to do the thing that, you know, you must want to talk about. Um, yeah, there's a huge problem in the industry. And, you know, there are shifts that feels like things are going in the right direction, but I still am quite cynical about what's going to happen because it's, it's for me, the real equaliser has to be money and the bait and pay gap mm -hmm. and what's happening with that. And, 
And actually, if you want to diversify things, you have to pump loads of money into it. And you know what? I This is a bit controversial, but I think we should stop calling it diversity. It's equality. And sadly, when equality happens, you have to take from other people. You know, so those privileged people have to give up a bit. And it, it's up to those people to give up a bit. And that's how we're going to get, get, get that way. And I just don't know if people are all open-minded enough to offer a bit of their privilege to just say, yeah, I don't need to take this job, you take it. Because, you know, I've been doing okay this year. I've had jobs after jobs after jobs and you've not worked for six months. You know, we need to do a bit more of that communication. Like, COVID has just been such uh, a terrible hit on the industry's creatives and television. And, you know, seeing so many like, really talented people be unemployed for such a long time and like genuinely be concerned about them and be like, well, what, 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 what am I doing as an individual who has a job to contribute to them who, do, who doesn't? You know, it's been like I've, I've rethought the whole way we think about employment and money, and and um, and definitely more needs to be done to support people. Like, get get into a union uh, if you can afford it, and like make sure we can try and support each other through it. Because yeah, that's that's the only way we can change things. I think money. Do you think there needs to be more transparency about what people are actually earning in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the BBC do publish all their. Uh, um, salaries so if you're an employer there they have to let the public know because they're public service um, but yeah hugely like I would love to know the disparities between me and my contemporaries at work and more importantly I mean it's not really about me because I'm totally middle management at the moment but somebody who's like really really high up and somebody who's really um, just starting in the industry that gap is such an interesting indicator of where a company's morals are um, so, yeah, I think, but I think it's really important to have some sort of transparency and also, you know, for women to talk about it because I think we're all so, like, uncomfortable by it. Um, and I have had so many paid conversations with male friends where I found out that they're getting paid more than me. Uh, and I was like, I don't know, like, I just, knowing that it's really hard to feel like you're worth it. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, it's weird because I think being a woman in this industry, I, I had, like, lots of situations where it felt like I was, you know, overlooked or, or, or undermined. Um, and then it's, it kind of felt like, okay, well, this is the industry sexist, whatever. But then when it happens to someone younger, for me, when I see like a young woman in a team ha have it happen to her, then I get like all mother hen about it and it really pisses me off. I'm just like, no, enough is enough. Like I don't want them, the next generation of women coming up to go through any of the stuff that I have or anyone before me has, like, because we should be trying to shift the conversation. Definitely. And... At the moment, you're working at the head of short form for ITN Productions. Um, what's your your day to day job like? Um, it's a lot of meetings. <laughs> it's a lot of like I manage these two daily news shows that go out on telly. So I manage one that goes on Channel Five every day and ITV every day. They're like two minutes and sixty seconds. They're like news entertainment bullet uh, like um, bulletins. Um, so I have to like sign up scripts and do stuff like that. But also I pitch ideas, I develop ideas, I contact producers, I contact directors, I contact talent. Um, I think about narrative storytelling, I pitch podcasts, I contact, you know, people who are making videos. Um, so it's a lot of pitching and then hopefully making. Um, so yeah, quite, it's quite a varied job. It's, it's great. Like I think it's nice. It's quite a good mix of production and development. And when did you record Brown Girls Do It Too? <laughs> Last summer. Yeah, we okay, did it yeah. like 
it was like July or something uh, last year. And so it's funny that when we won the British Podcast Award, we were like, we don't know last year. But yeah, no, it was last summer and we're, we're in talks to record series two soon. Amazing. That's great. When do you think it'll come out? Uh, I think autumn. Um, but, you know, Poppy and I are both trying to like, we've got full time jobs, so we're trying to make sure mm-hmm. it works around all the stuff that we're doing. Um, so, yeah, hopefully. And can you just discuss a bit about what the podcast is about and um, what kind of issues you raise and things like that? Mm. Yeah, I mean, the podcast is is a sex podcast and it's a it's a comedy sex a comedy sex podcast <laughs> but it's it's kind of supposed to be so much more than that I guess it's like sex is this universal thing that we can all relate to because we all well we're born of it or you know do it uh and I think we use it as a prison to talk about lots of other issues so we like invite listeners in to come talk about sex and we're talking about race and gender and uh, the patriarchy and like uh you know work and life and being british asian and not you know not being part of the majority what that actually feels like what that actually means day to day um and sometimes the struggles of it sometimes the humor of it sometimes uh the silliness of it and the different ways that we try to feel um like connected to each other to britain um to our identity as well I think yeah there's lots of different things we talk about but hopefully it's quite funny and silly because that's what we set out to be was just um like irresponsible older aunties or <laughs> like naughty naughty sisters that you just you know you're a bit ashamed of <laughs> I was listening to it today and um I really liked how open it you know I wasn't sure quite how open it would be and it just kind of felt like you know you were at the pub chatting to your friends or whatever which I think is how it should be so yeah it was really good Uh, (laughs) do you think it's helped other British Asian women feel more open about talking about sex yeah I mean we've had some really nice responses from uh, you know people who are listening not just women but also men I think it's nice to feel like we had an impact on anyone like because sometimes when you make podcasts which I'm sure you'll discover when you start to publish you wonder if anyone's listening because um, you know am I talking to an echo chamber who's, who's, who's here and we did it we did feel a bit that way because it was so personal and it was quite raw and it was really unfiltered like we're not very produced if you hear us uh, you know they haven't really edited out the bad bits it's just all in there um, and uh, yeah like I think we have had some small ripple of effect you know like it's it's a big old CT playing in, but being British Asian and being in the media and seeing, you know, what females get to front things or be part of uh, anything is quite, quite small. You know, you get a lot of Asian men, you've got like Romesh, Man Like Mabeen, you've got like a kind of a, a big vibrant community of male um, Asian comedians, but it's, it's small for women. And like, I'm not, I'm not a comedian, neither is Poppy, but like we, we like to laugh. <laughs> Um, and so we, we wrote some of the, we wrote some of the thoughts that we had beforehand and we like to rip off each other. Um, so yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we had an impact. We had really nice messages from people saying that, you know, they loved it or they, you know, helped them feel more comfortable about talking to their families about it or, you know, like a lot of Asian women, I think in this country can feel quite alone. Um, especially if you're from a background if your parents are Asian and you come to this country and you're all British and you grow up thinking that the world is like one way and your parents come from a different world, you know, you can feel really like detached from the things that you're supposed to feel close to. Um, so hopefully like we, 
you know, like all podcasts do, made people feel less alone or made people feel a bit more optimistic. And how did you feel when you won Podcast of the Year at the British Podcast Awards? Congrats on that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was good. It was great. It was uh, totally unexpected, really surprised and um, just really, like, really happy that something could cut, something that felt quite niche, you know, brown women talking about sex because, like, it's a brilliant thing about podcasts, I guess you can be niche, but it it did feel like it cut through to some people, um, which was really nice. And we had a lot of listeners who kind of came from all sorts of backgrounds to kind of jump on board after that as well so like yeah it was totally thrilling and you know like I don't I don't know like awards aren't everything it's totally about doing it and making it that's the thing that should like fulfill you um but for this podcast to get an award it just it did feel like something had changed a bit which was nice because 2020 has been a shit year so yeah yeah what was the awards like was it in a zoom call or <laughs> yeah it was it was it was a it was like a live zoom link and when you win they come to your door with the award um, oh my gosh so they they went to poppy's house because she's like an official employee of the bbc and i don't I, no, i'm not and so they um they we were nominated for the sex and relationships category and so i went with my boyfriend to the pub and we just watched it on his phone with some earbuds in and they like announced we won and i was like oh that's so great we won <laughs> and then then we came home and just like stopped watching it. Uh, and then in the morning I woke up to like a bunch of messages being like, congrats. And I was like, what? Not that big a deal. It's just like a sex and relationships category. Like what is everyone going crazy about? Um, and then found out that I had to watch the whole award ceremony because George the Poet had apparently done this wonderful monologue. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed it. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, it was great. Weird. Like Zoom award ceremony is very weird. I mean, Zoom in general, weird. Yeah, it's come up a lot in the last, the last few months from nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just to, to finish things off, uh, what advice would you give to women who want to follow the same career as you? Um, just be resilient and make, like, keep a slate of ideas that you think are yours and just keep always developing that. Like, it doesn't matter if you work in a company that's big or small, uh, or takes your ideas that doesn't just always have that bank of ideas that you always want to do um and push like push really hard and believe in yourself because like it's so cheesy isn't it do i really want to say that believe in yourself but like having a bit of belief in your in you and um your capabilities will get you so far because it's such a confidence-based networking place and i know that's really awful because i'm basically saying if you're an introvert it's not going to work for you it will you just have to find your people find your people and find your community and because it's a freelance uh world you'll occasionally go to jobs where you find cool people and like hold on to them and like keep them in whatsapp groups and keep messaging them and keep asking for advice and ask ask for more money every time that's my other thing women just need to keep asking for more money because uh we are grossly underpaid all the time um and i I just seen it so many times and including myself so like yeah always ask for money That was Head of Short Form at ITN Productions and award-winning podcaster Rubina Pabani. You can find her on Instagram and Twitter at Rubina Pabani. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. If you like this episode, please subscribe and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. You can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at She's Creative Pod. See you next time.